Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. Verse number three begins with the words, we give thanks to God. And with today being Thanksgiving Sunday, it's a good reminder of the word thanksgiving. And I I don't know about you, but one of the things that I've noticed about when people think about either thanksgiving or giving thanks, one of the things that, or phrases that people will use is the word, I feel thankful, right? Many of you may have heard that phrase, I feel thankful, I feel thankful about these different things. And and, uh, there's nothing wrong with the phrase, but it kind of doesn't really fit the word In terms of, let's take another example that we use here in the church, which is the word love. And I've preached this before, and I've talked about this before. Usually when people talk about love, they usually talk about the feeling of love, right? And they even refer to things like, I fell in love, right? Talk about things like that. But when you take a look at the Bible word for love, you'll find that love is more of an action. Love is something that I do, not necessarily how I feel. I may not feel loving when my child wakes me up in the middle of the morning, but still I'm going to do something, not because I feel good, but because I love her. And because I love her, I'm going to do this or that, whatever it is that she might need. Or in love, I might tell her, just go back to your bed, (laughs) okay? Just go back to your bed and go to sleep, right? I might do that. When it comes to Thanksgiving, I think sometimes... Uh, and, and for different people more so, that Thanksgiving might be a sense of feeling. I feel thankful. This, I love this season because I'm just full of this feeling of Thanksgiving, but it belies the word that we're using, which is thanksgiving. In thanksgiving, it's not just something we feel, it's something we give. All right? I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way, but Thanksgiving is literally have thanks, and I'm giving it. I'm giving it away. And verse number three makes it clear to whom we give thanks. We give thanks to God. As Christians, we should be thankful because God has given us things to be thankful for. And we should give thanks to God. Now, a lot of times the way that people phrase things is, I'm, I feel thankful for this, or I'm thankful for that. And that's great. And we'll get into that in just a moment. But we got to begin with this premise of we give thanks to God. So today on Thanksgiving Sunday, we're going to give thanks to God. Amen? Right? When we pray at the end of the service, we're going to have a meal over there. I'm thankful for everybody that brought food. I'm thankful for the food itself. But we're going to give thanks to God for those that prepared the food. We're going to give thanks to God for the food. We're going to give thanks to God for the things that we have here today. Now, Paul is giving thanks to God, and he's going to list a number of things that he's thankful for in relation to this one thing that really is the whole purpose of why he's writing. Because he's writing to a church, right? right? The book of Colossians is written to the church at Colossae. And here we see that Paul is thankful for the church. And I hope this morning that you're thankful for your church. I hope that you'd spend some time and think, and thank God, I'm glad I have a church. I'm glad I have this church. I'm glad I can be a part of a church. 
I'm glad God has put me into this body. If you're a member here of Bible Baptist Church, that's wonderful that you've been saved, you've been baptized, you've been added to the church, and you have something to be thankful for. You have a head in Jesus Christ. You have brothers and sisters together as members of this body that we get to encourage and edify one another. We get to serve with one another. We get to rejoice with one another. We get to worship with one another. If you're not a member of a church, or maybe you're not a member of this church, I encourage you to do so. It'll give you much to be thankful for. To join with a membership in the membership of a church gives you much to be thankful for and how God works through the church. So this morning, I want to see three reasons why Paul was thankful for this church. Here at the church at Colossae. First of all, we see that he was thankful for their eternal life. Verse number four says, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Verse number five continues, and he says, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. And you see it there at the end of verse number five, that they heard the word of the truth of the gospel. We can be thankful whenever lost people hear the gospel. Amen? We can be thankful when somebody is lost and they hear the good news of Jesus Christ, which is that Jesus Christ was born in the flesh, he died on the cross, was buried for three days, and he rose again so that we might have hope of eternal life. Anytime somebody hears the gospel, that's worth being thankful for. Amen? And you know the tool that God uses in order to propagate that gospel is the church? Right? Matthew chapter 28, here is Jesus speaking to the disciples, he's speaking to the church there, and he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. We can be thankful for our church because God uses the church in order to reach lost people with the gospel. But he's thankful not just that they heard the gospel. He's thankful that they believed in the gospel. Verse number four says, since we heard of your faith in Christ. Because it's not enough just to know you've got to believe. It's not enough just to recognize that's what the Bible says. You've got to trust in it for yourself. You've got to believe the word of God. And Paul was thankful not just that they heard the gospel, but that they believed in it. That they had faith in God and in his word and in his son Jesus Christ to be the savior of the world and of their sins. That's important because Hebrews chapter 11 makes it clear, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You know what that means? Without trusting in the gospel, without trusting the word of God, do you know what that means? That we are in the displeasure of God. We sit in condemnation before God. God is the judge and God is merciful, God is patient, but we are sitting in the condemnation of God just waiting for wrath to fall, but he gives us an opportunity. He gives everyone an opportunity to hear the gospel, to receive the gospel, and to be saved. And praise the Lord for that. We have much to be thankful for in our church because of the gospel. And because of the gospel, they had hope. It says in verse number five, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, they had hope because they were saved. And I hope that that's something that we can leave with today, which is every day you can live in hope. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live in anxiety. 
You don't have to live in what's going to happen tomorrow. I wonder what you know, terrible thing might come out next year. I'm worried about the virus. I'm worried about all these things. And we can rationally take a look at all of the things out there in the world and realize that, yes, things happen. We can understand all of that. But as Christians, our lives and our hearts should be dominated with not fear, but hope. Because God gives us hope. God gives us hope because of the gospel. God gives us hope because we can have our sins to be forgiven. God gives us hope because even though in this lifetime we might go through some trials and tribulations, we know that when we get to heaven, all sorrow will be passed away, all tears will be gone. We'll know that we will be in heaven in a place of perfection with our Lord forever and forever. And because that they were saved, they had hope. They had great hope. And because they were saved, they not only lived in hope, but they were changed. Because when you get saved, you're changed. You're different. Did you know that? When you got saved, did you realize that? Did you feel different when you got saved? Did you notice some changes in your life? Because when you get saved, all things are passed away. Behold, you're a new creature. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you when you didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You've had your sins to be forgiven. You are born into the family of God. You have a new father and you have a new family. And because of that, they were changed. And when you get saved, you get changed as well. And that was evident in their love. That's what it says in verse number four. He says, since we heard of your faith in, in Christ Jesus, wonderful, they got saved. But then he continues and he says, and of the love which ye have to all the saints. The love which you have to all the saints. He's indicating there's something new in your life. The new thing in your life is the love that you have. See, when I was uh, uh, a little bit uh, younger, you know, I moved away from home. My parents still live in the same area. They still go to the same church. And uh, I still have some old friends that, that live in the Seattle area, and they still go to the same church. And so whenever I go home and I visit them, and I'm there on a weekend, I go to the church, you know, I worship there with the church, and I get to see some old friends. It's great. And uh, some of them are peers of mine, friends of mine that we grew up together. We were in the youth group together and things like that. Some are a little bit older, like they're my friend's parents. And, you know, there's all sorts of people that are there. And, uh, you know, I would go back from time to time. And sometimes I would hear, often I would hear the phrase, boy, you haven't changed a bit, right? And I felt pretty good about that. I felt pretty good about, I would go back and people would be like, hey, Richard, you're the same. You look the same. I would feel good. You know, it might have been five years since I last saw them, a couple years. One of the things that I've noticed, though, is when I go back, people don't say that to me anymore. They don't say that to me anymore because they've noticed I've changed, you know. I got a little bit older. I look a little bit different. I've, I've become a little bit different. You know, my appearance is a little bit different, you know, and, and all these things. People notice a change and they say, oh, you know what, I probably shouldn't say you haven't changed a bit because uh, you look a little bit different and that's okay. But I remember younger feeling pretty good whenever people would say, oh, you haven't changed a bit. Now, as Christians, when we take a look at our spiritual lives, the phrase, you haven't changed a bit, is not a compliment. It's not a compliment. You know why? Because we should be changing. Amen? Now, as human beings, when we get older, we might not be happy with what changes we have, you know, and, and we might look in the mirror 
we might go to the doctors and have all these things and notice that I'm changing and not be happy with those things. But as Christians, when we go to God and we go to the word of God and we become more like Christ, we should notice a change. And becoming different, becoming more like Christ is a good thing. To hear the compliment, or to hear what may appear to be a compliment, you haven't changed as a Christian is not good. It's actually bad. To not change means we haven't grown. To not change means we haven't matured. To not change means we're still thinking in the old way. You know, I got two little kids, and uh, I love to see them grow. I love watching them grow. I love that they love to see the difference that they're growing. We have this little thing that's hanging on our wall. We measure them like every year. You know, how much have they grown in the past year? And uh, they'll, they'll go there. Sometimes it's just like every week they'll run over there. Dad, 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 measure me, you know? And I'll be like, no, you haven't you're grown since last week. You're like at the same height. But over the months and years, I see that they're growing and growing and growing. They're getting taller. They're getting stronger. They're learning more. They're maturing. They're learning to handle different things in a better way. And it's the same thing with Paul. Paul noticed, and others noticed really, in this church that they had grown. And the proof of their growth was their love, that they had love. And not a fake kind of love, but a real kind of love, because there's a fake kind of love, a show that you might put on, and a real, deep, genuine love. There's a difference there. You know, it's one thing to come to church and put on a suit and force a smile on your face and just say amen whenever it feels like it's the right thing to do. And there's another thing when you come and the Holy Spirit is really working inside of your heart. There's a difference that's there. There's a difference between I'm going to come and this is what people expect me to do and there's God who lives inside of you and God is love and God moves within your heart. You know, you see that brother over there? He looks like he could use a little bit of encouragement. Why don't you go over there and just see how he's doing? He looks a little bit down. Or you might notice that, you know what, this family hasn't been here for a little while. You know, maybe he missed a week, you know, could be anything, could be vacation, but then they missed another service. I wonder if everything's okay. And, and out of love, you reach out to them and you're thinking about them and you pray for them and they begin to demonstrate that they had a real love because in verse number eight, Paul mentions it's not a fake kind of love, it's real. Because in verse number eight, he says, who also declared unto us your love in the spirit. See, love is not something that you generate out of yourself. It's not a to-do list and book of how to love other people. It's the Holy Spirit inside of us that moves us to love. And they begin to demonstrate some of the characteristics of love. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there's a list of characteristics of true, godly, biblical love. Verse number four says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. They, as believers, demonstrating the love of the Spirit, were growing in this love. They began to be more patient with other people. That's a demonstration of love. Another demonstration of love was that they were kind. The words that they used were kind. They were generous words. Charity envieth not. They weren't jealous with what other people had. They weren't jealous of the new house or the new car. They weren't jealous of the new job or the money that they got or the things that they got to do. Love means that you're content with what you have and that you're happy for other people with what they have. Charity also vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. You notice that charity, love, 
doesn't lift itself up. What love does is it lifts other people up. And that's what they were trying to do. Instead of coming together with the idea of, you know, topping one another, oh, you did this, well, you know, I got to do this. And instead of being able to encourage other people and lift them up, that's another demonstration of love. Verse number five says, doth not behave itself unseemly. Love is proper. Love is always appropriate. Love also seeks not her own and is not easily provoked. You notice that if you love another person, that you will not be so easily provoked, that you'll be able to be patient, more patient with them, and it thinketh no evil. Love does not automatically jump to, well, this is the reason why they said that. Well, this, this must be why they did that. You, we, we have no proof of what they, why they did what they did or why they said what they said, but, but oh, you know, I, I think that that's the reason why. But love doesn't think that. Love, must think, love would think the things that are like, well, maybe they're just having a bad day. Maybe they didn't realize what they said. Maybe they just forgot. And, and you can follow up with them. Verse number six says, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. You'll notice that true love brings out rejoicing. Loving people are happy people. That's what the verse says, right? It rejoiceth not in iniquity, but it rejoiceth in the truth. And it, when you love God and you love others, you are able to rejoice. Verse number seven really gives us the encompassing of what love looks like. It beareth all things, it believeth all things, it hopeth all things, and it endureth all things. Now, I don't know about you, I can endure some things, I can bear some things, I can hope through some things, but the love of God bears all things, and it believeth all things. That's where the growth of Christian living is, amen? The growth of Christian living is, you know what, I'm able to deal with these things, and praise the Lord for that, but I've still got some growing to do. But there's another phrase, really another word here, that describes the love of the church that I think really Paul emphasizes and thinks, you know what, that's something really to be thankful for. And it's the word all. Verse number four. And of the love which ye have to all the saints. One of the things that you'll notice in the book of Acts, when you take a look at the first church and the first churches, some of them were divided. Some of them were clearly, here's this group over here, and there's another group over there. Maybe it wasn't like an official like category, but it was pretty clear you had this group and you had that group. In the church at Jerusalem, you had this group and you had that group. The members of this group, everybody was Jewish, but you had this group, which was those that were Jewish that lived in Judea. They lived in what we would call modern-day Israel, right? They lived in Jerusalem. They lived in the state in that area. They lived there. Well, there were other Jewish people that didn't live there. They lived in other parts of the world, and they had come there. Maybe they had visited there. And maybe they had moved there but they were not from there. And it was pretty clear. Their culture was a little bit different. Their language would have been different. But they had come together, and they had gotten saved. And praise the Lord for that. They got saved. And they became members of the same church. But there, became a, a, there arose a dispute within the church. And the dispute was this. They had some widows that were in the church. 
family members, you know, they, they had joined, they got saved, you know, they have, you know, grandparents and parents and children and all sorts of uh, individuals within the church. Well, some of them, as they grew older, you know, the husbands passed away and there were some widows and they needed to be taken care of. Well, culturally, those that were there in Judea, they had a, a culture of taking care of the widows. They would take care of one another because they knew the hardship that would face those widows. And so that was part of their culture. Well, they would take care of those widows, but then there would be these other widows that were not from Judea. They were not part of kind of the in-group, if you will. They were part of the out-group. And so there was a widow there that was not being taken care of. And then there was another widow, and then they noticed that, well, she wasn't being taken care of either. And, and it began to be like people would notice these things like, well, hold on a second. Some widows are being taken care of, and other widows are not. Well, what, what, what's the difference here? And they noticed, well, one group of people takes care of the widows, the people that are like this, that are like them, but the widows that are not like them, they, they, they don't seem to take care of them. And there began to be a little bit of a, 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 a spirit that arose within the church, some complaints. Hey, are we all saved together? Are we all members of the church? How come some are being taken care of and some are not? So they brought it before the apostles and they said, here's a problem. <laughs> and, and they said, all right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take seven men. I want you all, the members of the church, you choose seven men that are godly, that will be faithful, that will serve God, and it will be their responsibility to take care of the widows. Those that don't have anybody to take care of them, we will take care of them because they've got nobody else. They don't have any kids here. They don't have any, anybody else to help them, take care of them. So we will take care of them. And you began to see that after that point, the church began to grow. And even in that early church, you noticed that there was one group over here and there was another group that was over there. But when we get saved, we don't just love our group. We love all the saints. We love all of them. You know why? Because when you get saved, you are born again into the family of God. Now, aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful for that? That when you get saved, you are born again into the family of God, which means that God is your heavenly father. That's wonderful. I'm glad that I can say God is my heavenly father, that I'm a child of God. And you know what? If you're saved, you can also say God is my heavenly father. You know what that means? We're siblings. We're siblings. I noticed only one person said amen. <laughs> All right? We're siblings. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, all of us, if you're saved here together, you know, we're all siblings. We're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. All right, I got another amen. <laughs> all right? You know what that means is maybe you don't know the other person. Maybe you've never met the other person, but you're brothers and sisters in Christ. You know what? Thanksgiving and Christmas, you know where people go? They typically go where their family is. You know why? Because they're family. What better reason do you need than that? Right? During Thanksgiving, a lot of people will spend time that maybe their you know, parents or their brothers or sisters or their kids don't live here. They might go to some of these places or during Christmas time. Why do you go? You go because it's family, and that's what you do. You spend time with family. I love my family. My family might be different from me. My brother doesn't always think like me. My sister doesn't always think like me. They don't always do the things that I would do if I were in their position, but it doesn't matter. We're siblings. I love my siblings, and they love me. 
same is true when, when you get saved. You're born into the family of God. You have God as your heavenly father and your siblings together. And we ought to love one another. And Paul noticed that here was a church that they had all sorts of different people from all sorts of different places, from all different sorts of backgrounds, and they loved one another. I have two children, and there's many aspects of their lives that bring me joy. When I had one child, you know, all of the attention would go to my child, and my child would basically reciprocate that attention back to us as parents. And then we had another child. Now our attention is divided. I've got one child over here, I've got another child over here, and sometimes they give attention to us, but sometimes we just ask our kids, why don't you go play by yourselves? And they'll go into the living room or they'll go into their bedroom. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, if you know my kids, if you've met my kids, and you get to know them a little bit, you'll notice that my kids are very different. I have one child that's a little bit louder than the other child. And you'll probably know which one that is. <laughs> Pretty obvious. And that comes out in her personality. There's nothing wrong with being loud or quiet. There's nothing wrong with either of those two things. But uh, the loud child might get loud, and the quiet child would say, stop being loud. <laughs> they have disagreements and all of these different things. But you know, we get to observe them. One of the things that I love most about having kids is when I watch my kids, and my kids get along and they have fun playing together, right? If you've got kids, you've got a couple of kids, they get along, doesn't that bring joy to your heart? Does that make you happy? Oh, my kids, I love that my kids, they're playing together, they're getting along, they're having fun, they're, they're doing things together. And not just because that means that I don't have to play with them, but because they're getting along. They really do get along. And I love that. I love watching that. I love seeing that. I love that they're really enjoying each other's presence and each other's companies, even though they're different. They're different people. They think about things differently. They approach things differently. Their preferences are different. And the way that they express things is different. But when they get along, I really, I, I'm really filled with happiness and joy because I see that my kids are getting along. Well, I imagine that's just like God when he looks down at his church. We've got lots of people with different cultures, different backgrounds. We've got different personalities. We've got different ways that we like doing things. And you might not do something the way that somebody else does it. And they might not think that what you're doing is how that they would want to do it. But when we can get along and have fun together and enjoy one another's company, I think that God is glad. I think that God is joyful when he sees that his children get along, and that's what Paul was noticing as well. He noticed that they loved one another and they got along together, and it's not a matter of culture. Amen? The love that they had together was not a matter of culture. Sometimes there's too much of a divide, too much of an emphasis on, well, this is my culture, and this is how I do it, and this is how I think about it, and they're of a different culture, and so we don't get along. What God says is, but you have a new nature, don't you? You have a new nature. You have the Holy Spirit living with, within you. And, and yes, you might have a different culture from somebody else, but you could love them, couldn't you? You could have them over, over for dinner, could you not? You could reach out to them just like you reach out to somebody else. It's not a matter of culture. It's not a matter of personality. Some people naturally get along with other different personalities, right? 
Sometimes it's a matter of hobbies or interests. Sometimes you're just interested in something. You love sports, and you'll get along really well with somebody who loves sports. And, and you'll have somebody else who's, you know, they're, they're really not into sports, but they got something else, and you, you, you enjoy something. And maybe you're both into food, and you love this kind of food. You, you might get along in, the, in that regard. And, and sometimes those things can be helpful, but on a deeper level, real love is irrespective of culture, hobbies, interest and personality because God loves every one of you equally no matter your culture amen, amen. and God loves you equally regardless of your personality and God loves you equally regardless of the interest that you might have God loves you regardless of whether you watch baseball or not whether you love cooking or not, whether you love coffee or not. Now, I love coffee. If you love coffee too, we'll get along. <laughs> but the point is this, if God could love you, and when you get saved and the Holy Spirit lives with inside of you, that love's gonna come out. That love that you have for somebody else. Now, you might have to learn a few things and get to know them a little bit, but that's what Paul noticed about these people was there was a real evident love, that it didn't matter their culture, their background, their personality, their hobbies, their interests. The Bible says that they had an evident love for all the saints. So we can be thankful for that. Paul was thankful for this church because, well, first of all, they were saved. If you're going to be a part of a church, you have to be saved first. He was thankful for their evident love. But thirdly, he was thankful for their eager learning. You'll see that in verse number seven, as he also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. They learned from Epaphras. They had a desire to learn and to grow. That's one thing that I'm thankful for for my kids is that they have a desire to learn and to grow. That's natural. Kids are curious by nature. They want to learn they want to grow. They want to have more. They want to experience more. They want to uh, learn some more things. And the same is true of believers. When you get saved, you want to learn. You want to grow. You want to mature. But the question is not whether people have a desire to learn, because everybody has a desire to learn something. It, it may not be spiritual things. It may be unspiritual things. It may be things that are neither spiritual or unspiritual, just be things that are there in life, sports or technology or finance, things like that. But when it comes to the Christian life, here we see that they had a desire to learn from the right person. That's key. Who you choose to learn from is an indicator of your spiritual growth. Where you spend your time educating yourself about whatever it is that you're educating yourself on is an indicator of your spiritual growth. See, last week we were in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're in that series going through the book of 2 Timothy. And you remember the phrase, keeping to themselves teachers having itching ears? Do you remember that? That phrase means... I just want somebody to tell me the things that make me feel good, that I already agree with, the things that I like, that's what I want to hear. 
But the Bible makes it clear that what we need is not always things that make us feel good. Sometimes we need rebuke. Sometimes we need God to tell us out of his word, hey, there's sin in your life. We need that, amen? We need that. We need God to sometimes tell us these things. And so who we choose to go to in order to learn makes a difference. And Paul was thankful for these uh, individuals within this church because they chose to learn from Epaphras. They chose to learn from Epaphras. Now, we're going to take a look at what kind of person was Epaphras. Great, they wanted to learn from this man, this teacher, this servant of God, whose name was Epaphras. What kind of individual was he? Well, it's very clear that he was a fruitful individual. In verse number six, it says, which is come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit. The gospel brings fruit as it does also in you. Since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth, as ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. So Epaphras was the kind of individual that didn't just tell you what to do, he demonstrated it. He had evidence that, oh, this man also has the Holy Spirit living inside of him. You know how I know that? Because he loves all the saints. I know that he's a fruitful individual because he's got the fruit of the Spirit. We can take a look at Galatians chapter 5, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Now, here at the church, sometimes there are, and in your personal lives, there are certain immeasurable things that are easy for us to count, and that's why it can kind of make us feel good about ourselves, meaning this. I'm glad that you're all here today in the church service. And you ought to come to church. Amen? Amen. All right, Hebrews chapter 10. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. It's very important that you have a church that is your church. You're saved, you're baptized, you're added to a particular church. You're a member of that church. You're held accountable in that church. You serve within the church. And it's good to come to the church services. But more than coming to the church services, the church service is really only a help in order to get you to where you really should be. Meaning this, if you come to church and you're the same every week, then that's an indicator of you've stalled out in your growth. Do you know what I'm saying? Right? Just like you could have somebody who goes to the gym every single week, but they can't lift any more weights than they could a year ago. And they can't run any faster than they could a year ago. And they can't run, run any longer than they could a year ago. They're going every week, and they should go every week, right? If you have a gym membership, you should go every week, right? You should go every week, all right? I hope that's not too convicting. <laughs> Maybe that's why I don't have a gym membership, <laughs> all right? But if you have a gym membership, you should go every week. But the point is not just to go and show up and just lounge around in the gym. Hey, how's it going, guys? All right, keep it going, all right, you know, hey, you know, and just walk around, get a drink of water, or just walk around and say, all right, I did my duty, I went to the gym this week. You would say, well, ah, yeah, you did go to the gym, but why should you go to the gym? What's your purpose in going to the gym? Well, you should go to the gym 
to work out, maybe? <laughs> maybe that's really what should be the measure. Uh, can you lift more weights? Can you run farther? Are you in better shape? Are you healthier? All of these kinds of things. Now, it's a little bit difficult to measure those things because the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. It's not easy to, you know, you can't just go before God, you know, as a great physician and say, all right, your joy level is a 78 out of 100, all right? That's great. You've improved three points in joy, right? It would be nice if we could measure that, but we can't. So sometimes it's easier just to count. Well, I went to church, did my duty, boom, done, I'm good. But what God was saying is here is Epaphras, he didn't just show up, he was fruitful. And you could see the fruit and you could see the evidence of it. Not only that, he was a fellow servant. You see that word in verse number seven, the word fellow servant. As you learned also of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant. The word servant here means one who works without pay. It's the word that will be used for the word slave. He was a fellow slave, meaning he came to that church with no expectation of receiving anything from the church. Now, that's a different kind of an attitude, amen? Now, when we come to church, I don't know about you, but I come, honestly, with some expectations of receiving something, right? I come with the expectation of, I want to come and receive some encouragement. I want to see, you know, uh, these different things. And, and uh, some of those expectations are not necessarily wrong, but Epaphos really took it to another level. And he said, I'm coming to church not to get, but to give. That's my whole attitude. When I go to church, I'm here to give. If somebody gives me something, fine, that's great, that's wonderful. But I'm not here for the pay. I'm here to give. That was Epaphras' heart. That was his attitude. That was Paul's attitude. When in the number of the different letters that he wrote, he writes, Paul, a servant of Christ, that's the same word. The attitude there is, I'm here giving you something without the expectation that I would receive something back. That's a great attitude to have. And, and what Paul noticed was that Epaphras was like that. And he said, I'm glad that you as a church are learning from Epaphras because Epaphras is the kind of guy that you want to learn from. He's not the kind of guy who comes with the expectation of, all right, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. He's come with the expectation of, I'll help you out whether or not you help me back in return. What a great individual. Thirdly, we see that he was faithful who is for you a faithful minister of Christ. He was consistent through the ups and through the downs, through the difficult seasons, through the easy seasons. You have a situation where Epaphras was there no matter what else was going on, whether their friends came or not, whether people were there or not, he was going to show up, he was going to serve, he was going to give, he was going to do something and be faithful in it. One of the things that I really respect about uh, certain particular athletes, uh, you know, there's a, any time that somebody is a professional athlete or a professional anything in most regards, there's a certain level of respect of if you're going to be that good, that means that you put in the time, you put in the work, you put in all of these things, and, and that's respect worthy. And, uh, you know, just to see some of the things that they go through in order to be able to perform at that level. That, that, there's a lot of respect uh, that, they, that they have simply by being, you know, able at the top of their game. But there's another kind of individual that I really respect even above those individuals. Especially nowadays where it's easy for athletes to chase success when it seems like it'll be easier in another place. 
when you know, their contract is up and they could easily just go anywhere that they want to and pick the team that would make it easiest for them to have success. There's nothing wrong with that. But I have a lot of respect for people who say, I know that it'll be easier to have success out there, but I think this is where, I'm good, uh, where I should be, and I'm gonna stay here even if it's not easy. I'm gonna stay here. My goal might be to win a championship. We may never win a championship, but I wanna stay here. It won't be easy, it'll be difficult, but I wanna win here. I don't wanna win somewhere else. I don't want to go and just make it easy and all of these things. I have a lot of respect for that because it could be easy for them to just say, you know what, here's another easier opportunity for me to go over there. I'm going to go over there and that'll be fine. But Epaphras was not the kind of person who would just say, oh, you know what, things are a little bit difficult here. I'm going to go over here because it's easier over here. And people are doing some other things that'll be a little bit easier. He was like, you know what, I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to be consistent wherever God puts me. He was also focused on Christ. He was a faithful minister, verse number seven says, a faithful minister of Christ. All that he did was with the mentality that he would serve Christ, that he would serve the Lord. Now, I want you to turn to Colossians chapter number four. Colossians chapter number four, the end of, of the book, the letter, uh, Colossians chapter four, verse number 12. Again, the name Epaphras comes up. Epaphras, verse 12, who is one of you? Epaphras is from Colossae. He had come to Paul to deliver some things, and then he took the letter back to his home church. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Here is Epaphras. He was laboring. This word for laboring fervently was the word that Paul used to write to Timothy when he says, fight the good fight of faith. You remember that? And remember when he says, I have fought a good fight? That's the same word. When he says, here is Epaphras, one who labors fervently for you, it can almost be written, here is somebody who is fighting for you. And that's somebody you want to learn from. You want to learn from somebody who's fighting for you. Now, what does that mean as a Christian? How do we fight for one another, right? If you're for somebody, and you want to see them succeed in the Christian life, you want to see them to grow, and you want to see them succeed in the Christian life, how do I do that? One way that is described of Epaphras, it says, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. Epaphras was somebody who fought for the church by praying. That is something that we need. And that's something that we can do for one another. As a church, one of the things that you can do, maybe you're not here, maybe you feel you can't come here, whatever. If you are a Christian, you can fight for your fellow Christians by praying for them. Pray for them. I have a list of the people who come to the church services, and I take a look at that list, and I, go, I, I, have, I can go down name by name, and I can see... Okay, I'll say, oh, I saw that person this week. Oh, I didn't see that person this week. Maybe I should reach out to them. Oh, this person hasn't been here for a couple of weeks. I should reach out to that person. I have the names of people who come to this church, and I pray for those names, and I pray for them. And something as simple and practical as write down all the names of the people in your Life Connection class, and when you read your Bible, you pull out that list and you pray for them. 
You might not know what's going on in their lives. Sometimes I'm like, well, I haven't seen this person. I know that they don't feel comfortable still coming out to the church service, but I'm going to pray for them. I'll pray that, you know, that they will come out to the church when they're able to or when they're ready. I pray that God will give them good health. I pray for them. Here is a, a church in the city of Colossae that was learning from Epaphras, a great teacher, not a false teacher, but a teacher who is willing to serve, a teacher who is willing to give, a teacher who had proven himself. And because of that, the church was growing and Paul was thankful for that church. And I hope also in our church as well. These are some characteristics to look for. Whether we're learning, whether we're saved, whether we're loving one another, all of these character traits are things that we can be thankful for within our church.